Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network. Featuring Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, and Protecting Project Pulp. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 281. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. What a show today. Tell you what's coming in. We have... Take a seat. We have Matthew Sanborn Smith with Fiction Crawler 13, no less. Yeah, it's only been about seven and a half years, but we've got a new fact article by Matthew Sanborn Smith. Then after that, we're going to get into Jackie's Boy Part 2 by Stephen Popkers, narrated by Jeff Lewis. Fantastic story. And we've also got a couple of friends popping up to say hello throughout the show. That is all on this week's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. Now, I think it's probably best that we get rid of this suspense and bring on Matthew Sanborn Smith. Hello, my grumbling starvelings. This is your prodigal sunstroke, Matthew Sanborn Smith, and his delightful and imaginary award-winning fiction crawler. Welcome to episode 13 of this column, the all-audio edition of the fiction crawler. Aren't they all audio editions, you ask? Well, yeah, but this audio is about other audio. This is audio to the second power. It's gonna blow your speakers up or something. So wait a minute, this guy's been gone over a year, and then he comes back and tells us to listen to other podcasts? The ball's on this guy. The balls indeed. You may know I'm not Mr. Steampunky, but the title of this first story caught my brain and I climbed into it before I knew what exactly it was. I'm very glad I did. Get over to Podcastle episode 193 and give a listen to Fruit Jar Drinkin' Cheatin' Heart Blues by Patty Templeton, read splendidly by M.K. Hobson. It's the story of a couple of bootlegging lady lovers in early 20th century Kentucky who avoid the sheriff and the G-Man by keeping their stills on legged machines which roam the mountain woods. The stills are called walkers and they're guarded by 
copper creepers. You couldn't squeeze some crawlers in there, Templeton? The ladies' drunken business decisions and ensuing feud, filled with wonderfully passionate hate notes, jeopardize everything they've worked for. Normally, even all of this fun wouldn't make me listen through. What truly hooked me was the density of the story. There is a hell of a lot going on here, making for a rich world and rewarding multiple listens. This is my favorite kind of writing. Imagine a lesbian hillbilly story told in the creamy thicknesses of William Gibson, Ian McDonald, or Paolo Bacigalupi. If you can write anything this well, you've got me, no matter what the subject matter. I'll take your preemptive thank yous now. For a very different flavor, bop on over to the April 2011 issue of Lightspeed Magazine for the Nebula-nominated Mama, We Are Genia, Your Son by Tom Crosshill, narrated by Stefan Rudnicki, who even with his deep bass voice somehow convinces us that he's an eight-year-old boy. Through a series of letters, we find that Zhenya's poor, sick mother has hired him and his dog out to Moscow scientists for a series of super weird and unpleasant experiments. You probably figured it out by now, but let me warn you that if you're truly appalled by the suffering of children and animals, you maybe shouldn't listen to this one. Not to say that the rest of you enjoy the suffering of children and animals, but if you do, rush right over there. But it's balanced out by all that poignancy stuff you always hear about, and the extreme wildness of higher physics filtered through the mind of a boy who is experiencing quantum physics on a greater than quantum scale. You get gnomes and castles, multiple dogs, multiple genias, multiple worlds, and head-eating nanos. Is it reality being bent or is it your mind trucking over to the Drabblecast, we find nick mamatis's story at the end of the hall read by delianne forgay in episode 211 this one is told from the point of view of an older woman who lived her young life in fear including the fear of pulp magazine robots now after the loss of one of her sons her husband and facing the end of her life because of cancer she has no more fears the problem now is everything in her life is just an enormous pain in the ass and the powerlessness she feels being tied to her hospital bed by tubes stretches into every aspect of her life i listened to this a year and a half ago and it stuck with me listening to it again i honestly began to think that i was wrong that there was nothing magical enough for the fiction crawler in this old woman's bad memories and complaints but then came the last part the great part when the woman who has never wished for a thing in her life decides to try it just once and then there is power and revenge and an old woman's maniacal laughter as the music swells behind her i got goosebumps all that came before was the necessary build for an incredible payoff Great narration and great production, as always, from the Drabblecast. Go taste for yourself. Once your taste test is over, skip ahead a mere 60 episodes to Drabblecast 271 and listen to the first part of Trifecta XXIV, or 24 for those of you who can't speak Latin. And never mind that the link says XXIII. Their link isn't too fluent either, apparently. Anywho, you want the first story of the group of three, which is called Fool, written by Stephen R. Stewart and read by Chris Reynaga. In Fool, moths cling to the side of a house at the end of their lives, and as winter is coming, they're dropping from the wall one by one. The ones that yet live discuss life, mortality, the children they'll never see, and love. I'd call Fool the titular moth, only I can't say the word titular without my inner 12-year-old totally losing it. (laughs) But Fool is a moth after whom the story is named, and he's a fool in love with a predator who has long since flown south. Drabblecast trifecta stories are pretty short, as they have to squeeze in three, and there's only so much you can do with a story that short. The length is good for exploring a goofy premise and good for the little setup with the Twilight Zone twist at the end, but Fool did something amazing in the seven or so minutes it had. It was quiet and touching, and even though it couldn't go long, it went deep. Give up seven minutes of your life and feel a little of that depth. Again with the podcastle and the delicious tale, The Parable of the Shower, written by Leah Bobbitt and read by Larice White. This one is a good time all the way. The story of a young woman who is visited by an angel in her shower and is told that she is to carry the Lord's child. 
She's not interested in carrying anyone's child and responds by using her neighbor's shower and, when further pressed, insists on speaking to the angel's supervisor. The hook that truly drives the fun throughout this irreverence is the melding of King James' erudiction and the mundane modernity of apartment-building life. It's vibrant enough to remain fresh for the length of the story and second-person point of view has never sounded so good. The protagonist's struggle with the angels is a larger struggle of self-determination clashing with the will of God and the solution offered challenges the angels themselves as well as their assumptions. Good stuff. I always save the best for last, and although you may not agree with me that this one is the best, I agree with me, and on the Fiction Crawler, two votes is all I need to run roughshod all over your dreams of democracy. Yes, it's time for the Conan story, the Frost Giant's daughter, or else it's time for the Conan story, Gods of the North. I'm bringing you one for the price of two, for they are indeed the same story, both written by Robert E. Howard and also by Robert E. Howard. And among other places you can find this story, you can listen at our very own Protecting Project Pulp, Episode 5, narrated by Scott Couchman. In this short story, Conan finds himself in the icy Northlands, the last survivor of a brutal battle. He's surrounded by dead friends and foes, and his head has been seriously wanged. An incredible woman appears on the battlefield, nearly naked but unaffected by the cold. She beckons Conan and teases him and stays just beyond his reach, until, in a run, she leads him deeper into the wilderness, the purported land of the frost giant Ymir. In his too short but quite active career, Howard produced some of the most exciting writing in the English language, and this story has that, but it it also has a little something else. Between the head-wanging, the mythic elements, and the cloud of lust and anger, and a man who's probably suffering from both blood loss and hypothermia, the events of this story are always in question, and perhaps a little bit fluid around the edges. The writing is driven, while it also beautifully evokes the dreamlike quality that the plot calls for. This story, in my opinion, is one of Howard's most perfectly formed works. As it's public domain, you can find it in a whole pile of places online. Besides protecting Project Pulp, it has in recent years popped up on that podcastle show I keep talking about, narrated magnificently by Graham Dunlop in episode 162. And sofa friend Rish Outfield did a Schwarzenegger-sounding Conan version just for the fun of it that can be found over at the Doonstief with some cool added sound effects. I love the story so much I gladly listen to all three versions, and if you make a version and tell me about it, I'll probably listen to that one too. I need to stop now because all of the snow in this three-story is making me crave ice cream. Well, that's all you're getting from me for now. I need to go lie down. Links to all of this magic of which I have spoken are in the show notes for this episode. The Fiction Crawler feeds on your comments in the forums, or maybe that's my ego. But just in case it's the first, please let it not go hungry. I hope to be back sooner than I have been and present to you more of my awe-inspiring recommendations. Until we reupholster the sofa cushions in the hides of our enemies, this continues to be your crawly creeper, Matthew Sanborn-Smith. Good night. There you go, Matthew, what can I say? You, you know, the, the, see, the secret is with Matt, leaves them that long, you just kind of, the good, the fantastic, you know what I mean, all the bloody time. <laughs> if they were coming out month in, month out, I, oh, right, that story, I wouldn't, uh, well, Matt, you're a clever little bugger. What can I say? Matt, thank you so much. I wish I could just give you a big hug. When this virtual world they keep talking about there, Matt, comes into being, we'll, 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 I'll buy you a virtual pint and we'll see each other over the kind of, <laughs> the airwaves, internet waves, tubes. Until then, my fine friend, we'll just have to keep waiting for these bloody fiction crawlers to come down every five years. So, next up, well, before we get into Stephen Popka's story, let's, we're all kind of settled in there, enjoying Starship so far. This is, as I mentioned last last week, and for a few more weeks, God, a, few, a while, we're going to try and start 
just ask, not asking directly, but you know what I mean? We've got to keep this Starship Sova going. And we kind of need donations, you know what I mean? It just it's, it doesn't get any similar than that. It has to get funded. And it's it's quite strange because it's always been, you know what I mean, just... If I could take care of that, or if that site could take care of itself, then I wouldn't kind of stress out and wouldn't, wouldn't worry. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I, I guess I am a little bit of a worrier, if you know what I mean. That's why the, the good wife's the one that kind of takes on the whole house and everything like that. that. My little issues don't really seem, you know, when you're kind of budgeting the house and everything like that. So I've just kind of carried on and, ho- you know, hopefully the kind of donations have been coming in. But of late, you know, probably since about... Christmas time, you know, people's, and you can understand, you know what I mean? Everyone's got their own kind of issues in the, in the world and in life. But if we need, you know, if if we're listening to this now and we want this to kind of keep going and you've been listening to this, you know, since for a while there, think about donations. You know, what I'm kind of interested or what I'm kind of after is like monthly donations, just to kind of, and I've mentioned this before, keep the bedrock of the sofa going, just so I can kind of just concentrate on on, on putting out the show each and every week. You know, that's the, kind of my main goal. I don't want to worry about the bloody, the money side. It all just kind of hopefully will take care of itself. But like I say, lately it hasn't. And there's, it's hideous, you know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm kind of having a dip in to the house fund and that's where I kind of had a good long, um, <laughs> I didn't have a good long, my, my wife had a, you know, a couple of talks with us and, it just is. It isn't going to happen. Do you know what I mean? We just cannot do that no more. Do you know what I mean? Having to kind of bail it out every now and again, and just like you say, it must be the same for everybody. That's why everyone's kind of pulling away. You know what I mean? Stopping the, the monthly donations and things like that. There's there's a lot of issues going on in the world that people need their own money. You know, but if you know you'd think about donating, that would be just awesome. Do you know what I mean? Monthly donations. Just keep it going. Just make sure it's going. You know. My kind of little gift, if I've got anything for doing Starship Sofa, is I don't mind going to kind of these big writers, you know, and, and, get, and asking for a story, do you know what I mean? And now I'm getting roped in Adam, who's, you know, on the same thing. We can bring you the content, do you know what I mean? The content's not an issue. Been doing this since kind of 2006. And, you know, the, the kind of ideas I'm coming up with and the, the people, God, I've interviewed, you know, Ray Bradbury for the show. Do you know what I mean? You can't get any better than that, I don't think. But... It, it it just has a price and we've got to, you know, keep going. That's the price. So think about donating. And I've just, you know, slyly as well, getting a few friends to rope in to to kind of ask for your, your, your assistance. Hi, this is Alan Steele, the author of Coyote, and you're listening to the Starship Sofa. Please consider making a contribution to support this website. There you go. So please... You know, serious for a minute, you know, we're kind of in a little bit of a kind of issue here where we either keep going for a couple of months and then it has to close, not close down, but it has to kind of have some serious funding going on. Or we kind of, you know, everyone chips in and supports. And it's not much, do you know what I mean? Just kind of help out where you can. That would be fantastic. Let's get into then part two of Stephen Popka's story, Jackie's Boy, narrated by Jeff Lewis. In part one of Jackie's Boy, we met Michael, a young orphan struggling to survive in a world coming apart at the seams. He befriends an unlikely companion, Jackie, an ill-tempered, uplifted elephant with no love of mankind and only one goal in mind, to find others of her kind. Jackie reluctantly allows Michael to accompany her on her journey, wanting nothing more than to make use of the young man's monkey hands. They soon find that Roving gangs are the least of their worries. 
for Jackie isn't the only wildlife that has been modified. And it isn't long into their journey that Michael becomes wounded, leaving Jackie with a decision to make. Abandon the young man, or stay and care for him. It was all light and dark for a long time. When things were lighter, he slept in a brown haze as if he were swimming in honey. He was warm and safe. Occasionally he was convulsed with pain. He couldn't tell where the pain was coming from exactly. Sometimes it seemed to come from his neck. Other times, his leg. Sometimes he was riven by pain that seemed to come from nowhere. This went on. It seemed forever. Then it grew lighter and he opened his eyes. He was in a room, in a bed that reminded him of when his parents still lived. The room had a window, as then the bed had been pushed against the wall so he could look out the window. It had sheets and a blanket. He fingered them gently, wondering if he was dreaming. Outside the sun shone. His leg hurt. He heard a grunt and Jackie's head appeared in the window. She pushed it open. How are you feeling? Sleepy, Michael said. My leg hurts. Go back to sleep if you want. I'll be here. Michael nodded and smiled. Her trunk hovered in the air near him. He reached up and pulled it close, warm and bristly comfort. He could feel the muscles tense a moment, then relax. The weight of it next to him, the grass smell on her breath, the beat of her pulse. Michael closed his eyes. He felt like he was floating in the air. Jerry was sitting at the foot of the bed reading a book. The sunlight was gone and it looked threatening outside. An afternoon June storm, Jerry said, looking up from his book. June? Michael shook his head. It was May when we got to Metropolis. Jerry nodded but didn't say anything. Well? Wait until Jackie gets back. She wanted to be here when you woke up. I only got her to go up the hill and eat by promising her I'd call her if you woke up. Jerry returned to his book. Aren't you going to call her? Jerry shook his head. It's hard enough to get her to leave you. She needs to eat her fill. You know what you're going to do? What? Pretend to be asleep so I don't get in trouble. Michael closed his eyes obediently. Then he didn't need to pretend. It was the thunder that woke him. He started and his leg began to throb. He could see the bulking shadow of Jackie with her head in the window. Jerry had rigged some kind of awning over the window so at least her head wouldn't get too wet. Michael didn't like it. It was his job. Jerry entered the room with a hissing lantern. He set it on the side table and moved the curtains away. There, you see, let there be light. Michael tried to reach his leg, but he was too weak. Can you rub my leg? It really hurts. Jerry looked down. Michael? Jackie rumbled gently. You need to be brave. Michael didn't like the sound of that. Am I going to die? No, said Jackie somberly. The dragon bit your leg. We couldn't save it. What do you mean? It got infected, said Jerry. It got so bad we thought it was going to take you with it. So it had to go. Go? Michael shook his head. What are you talking about? Jerry had to cut off your leg, said Jackie. What? Michael said weakly. 
Jerry pulled back his blanket. Michael's thigh and knee looked bruised and purple. Below that was a fat bandage that ended long before his ankle. You cut off my leg? Michael couldn't believe the stump was his. This is a joke. I can still feel my foot. Jerry replaced the blanket. After a while, your mind will accept that there's no foot there. Then you won't feel it anymore. The shape of the blanket now clearly show what was missing. At least that's what I've heard. Michael stared at the blanket for a long moment. Outside, the thunder receded, and while the lightning played in the clouds, there was a little sound but for the rain and the wind. You said dragon, Michael said, looking up from his leg. He couldn't stand to stare at it anymore. Komodo dragon lizard, Jerry said. Jackie figured out what it was as soon as she saw it. Jackie looked up at the sky. She looked inside the window. I expect there were several zoos and other facilities in Florida that collapsed just like the zoo in St. Louis. Maybe that rhino was still alive. For the summer, at least. According to Jerry, these lizards have survived for a while. I'm not sure how tropical species can make it through a temperate winter. Perhaps they move south when the temperature drops, or perhaps they find a place they can sleep through the cold. I suppose it's possible that there were enough of them that some were resistant to the cold. The ones less resistant died out and their remaining population bred. Evolution in action. Or maybe they were modified. Michael stared at her. Jackie was talking to him. Really talking to him. She had never done that before. Jerry interrupted gently. How are you feeling, Michael? Michael started. He'd forgotten Jerry was there. My foot hurts. He looked down at the blanket, oddly misshapen without his foot under it. Tears welled up. What am I going to do? Rest for the moment, said Jackie. Then figure it out. Michael healed with all the combustive vitality of any well-fed young boy. In early July, the stitches were out and the skin over the stump was new and tender. He either hobbled about with a crutch that Jerry had made him, or Jackie carried him. But as the days wore on, he started finding Jackie high on the broken end of the Interstate 24 bridge, carefully watching the other side. What's over there? Michael asked as he sat down and dangled his leg over the hundred-foot drop. You shouldn't sit so close to the edge, Jackie said quietly. If this bridge will hold you, it's going to hold me. Jackie reached over and picked him up with her trunk. Edges crumpled. She put him down and he leaned against the wall. Okay, what's over there? I've been watching the dragons, she pointed with her trunk. They come to the road once around sunrise and once around sunset. In the morning, when they're warm enough, they leave the road and move to the forest at the edge of the clearing. At night, they slink away under the trees to sleep somewhere. A cave, maybe, or some kind of den. If they're hungry, they stay near the clearing until they've made a kill. Animals avoid the road so it's not profitable for them to hunt there. That's why they hug the edges of the clearings. There. She pointed again across the river. And there. See the carcass? It was a deer they took yesterday morning.
Michael saw one leg sticking up from the ground in the clearing. Two long, motionless shadows were laying near it. So the road is safe in the middle of the day? Safer, anyway. This section of the road has only two lanes. The wider roads may be better or worse. I can't tell from here. Jerry was right about one thing. They're not crossing the river. Michael saw something move. A large spotted cat. He pointed it out to Jackie. A leopard, maybe, she said. Look how it's avoiding where the dragons are. Look way in the distance, in that clearing. Deer? I don't know. They don't look like deer. Gazelles? Antelope? Something the leopards and Komodos can eat, I suppose. Where did they come from? Zoos in Florida? Laboratories in Atlanta? I don't know. She paused a long time. Over there, things are going to be different. Michael leaned back against the ridge of her back. He rubbed the stump of his leg. It was still tender and it itched constantly. Sometimes, if he wasn't thinking about it, he tried to scratch his toes. The summer is getting on, Michael said. We should get started. You're right, Jackie snorted. You want to lose both legs? You're staying here with Jerry. I'm going on down alone. You need me. I'll cope. You were right. You belong here. That was before. Before what? Michael hesitated. When I didn't think you liked me. Jackie turned her head and looked at him. Makes you think I like you now. You stayed with me, Jerry said. I felt guilty for getting you into this. Michael felt as if he were struck. Ned had never treated him this way. Why? Why hate me? Why be so mean to me? Michael felt she was hiding something. How do you get someone to tell you something they don't want to? Why did you leave the zoo? He asked suddenly. I didn't like the humans, and I had to leave. Michael picked up on the didn't immediately, but kept it to himself. Ralph said he had a couple of years yet. It didn't have to be right then. I had to leave. Why? Why then? Why? When we could be back there enjoying good food and not staring over the river at dragons. Jackie shook her head. Sudden rage shook Michael. Damn it, I saved you. You owe me. Jackie sighed. This is hard for me. Do you know there were four of us? Tantor, Jill, Old Bill, and me. We all learned to speak quickly enough, but we hid it from the keepers as long as we could. We had no love of them. Why should we? Even if we hadn't had the wit to speak, we would have known that this was not the place we should be. You saw the zoo. There were cameras everywhere. Where there are cameras, there can be no secrets. So, we were found out. They taught us to read. They taught us anything they could get their monkey hands on. We talked it over among ourselves. Why not learn what they had to offer? What could it hurt? Learn the enemy, said old Bill. 
but keep them distant. Jackie fell silent for a moment. Every animal is wired its own way. Herd animals and pack animals are similar in one respect. They define themselves by membership in the group. Once you include a new member in the group, you're bound to them. Wolves, cattle, and elephants are the same. We didn't want that. We didn't want to include humans in our tight little community. So we held back. We acted confused and slow. We did everything we could to make ourselves look stupid. Smart enough to work with, but our true nature held secret. Then the humans started dying, one after another, in groups, by themselves, until we were by ourselves. Only Ralph was left to care for us. We were very ecstatic. All we had to do was figure out how to escape Ralph and survive. We knew we had to go south, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, where there was no snow in the winter and we could eat. Then Jill died. A bit of wire or glass left in the hay, maybe. No veterinarians left, right? We never really knew, but she died bloated and screaming. That left old Bill and Tantor. I don't know how it happened. Well, I woke up a few weeks later and they were fighting. It's a terrible thing to see two five-ton animals slamming into one another. They had come into must at the same time. I don't know why. I think I came into heat watching them. Biology triumphant. Jackie snorted. They had been dumb beasts. One of them would have figured out they were losing and broken it off. Instead, old Bill killed Tantor. He came over and mounted me. But the battle hurt him, too. Inside, somehow. A concussion? Internal hemorrhaging? I never knew. He just wasted away. Then he was dead, and I was alone and pregnant. You appeared on the scene a week after that. Michael stared at her. I don't understand. I'm telling you why I had to leave. I didn't have a couple of years. The gestation period of an elephant is twenty-two months, no more, no less. I'm five months pregnant. I have to find a place that's safe, that's warm, where I can raise my child. Oh, Michael said. But why the hurry? That's a couple of years. Not really. I don't know what's at Hohenwald. What if there's no elephants left? Then it's only me. A few months to find a place and get through the first winter. How will I know I've found a good spot until I've been through their winter? Then a few months to move to a new spot if I have to. Then a solid year of eating. That's not much time. Not much time at all. Michael looked across the river. Guess the dragons are a problem for the little guy. You think? She chuckled. I didn't mean me, Michael said reasonably. You're going to need me. He looked up at her, and she looked away. And you know it, too. Is it so terrible to need a human when you're so alone? Michael looked over the edge of the bridge and spat. He could see it nearly all the way down. Look at it this way. We used you when everybody was alive. Now's your chance to use us. Or at least one. I don't want to use anybody. Then take me along because you like me. Take me along because you can use my monkey hands. Take me along because I don't weigh much. And 
I wouldn't be a burden to carry. Only take me along. Jackie didn't say anything for a moment. You're crippled. Compared to you, everyone is crippled. Michael, you're missing one leg. So? Jackie snorted. You can't keep up. I couldn't keep up before. You're being difficult. Where did you ever get the idea I'd make leaving me behind easy for you? You're missing a leg, Jackie trumpeted in frustration. I can't take you with me. Why not? Jackie shook her head. You're missing a leg. You said that, Michael stared at her straight in the eye. Like I said. So? Michael, she said helplessly. You owe me an answer, and don't give me that not-keeping-up crap. You owe me better than that. Jackie stared back at him. Okay, she said slowly. The truth is, I don't want to have to take care of you. More crap. Not at all. I don't know what's going to happen when I meet other elephants. I can't have any more dependence than my own baby. Let's add some more truths here. Michael felt like he was going to cry. He wiped his eyes angrily, so I can't walk without a crutch. I'm riding you anyway. Besides, with my stump heels, you can make an artificial leg. You read that yourself. Even Gary said he could do it. He might even find one that will fit me. Just because there wasn't one here in Metropolis Hospital doesn't say anything about other hospitals. So it's not my leg. It's not like I haven't been useful. You wouldn't have gotten out of St. Louis without me. It's been me with my human hands who has been able to keep the stuff together. I'm the one who can use a gun. I'm the one that saved your life. The truth is you need me. Your baby needs me. So let me come along. I have to look out for you. We have to look out for each other. You didn't see the dragons. I did. No. Why not? I don't want anyone to die around me. Not again, she shuddered. For a moment, Michael could read her as clearly as if she were a human being standing right in front of him. Her face dark and sad, her eyes haunted. He reached up and took her trunk and draped it around his shoulder. He stroked it gently. You're going to need all the help you can get. you got a baby coming. You don't know if elephants are still there or if you can find them. You're going to need my hands and my eyes. Better take them with you. Why do you want to go with me so much? Michael laughed. Are you kidding? Live on the back of an elephant? What kid wouldn't trade his teeth to be in my place? That can't be the only reason. Oh, there are a million reasons for us to be together. I can't think of all of them for you. Michael hugged her trunk. He looked up at her. I'm going to be an uncle. This time, Jerry kept the Enconante a hundred yards from shore while Michael and Jackie watched for signs of the dragons. Michael scanned the forest with the binoculars Jerry had given him. I don't see any. We saw the kill in the clearing this morning. They should be there, Jackie said. And they might have decided to stay in the shade today, Jerry commented dryly. Why miss a chance at a mountain meat? Quiet, said.
said Michael. Let's not do this all over again. Jerry opened his mouth and then shut it. Suit yourself. I'll say this for the last time. This is a mistake, and you'll remember I said it. If things work out, we might come up in a year or two. You can meet Jackie's new baby. Jerry didn't answer, but emptied his pipe over the side. It's now or never. Michael patted Jackie's leg. Help me up. I think Jerry's right. Not going to go through this again right this minute. Make a leg. Jackie bent down on one knee, and Michael clambered up. Okay, then. He pulled out the rifle. Jackie eyed it warily. I didn't know you had that. Everybody has secrets. Let's roll. Jerry brought the Encanante slowly to the pier. His own rifle was standing in the corner a foot away from him, but he didn't look at it. Instead, he kept his hands over the throttle and the reverse switch. Jackie stepped slowly onto the pier and looked around. Michael held the gun ready. Okay, then. Jackie began lumbering up the road. Michael heard Gary call after him. Good luck. Then the propeller revved up and the ferry pulled away from the pier. They were on their own. Michael looked around and watched carefully. The one that had got his leg was dead, but Michael wouldn't have minded giving him some company. Once the dragons had warmed themselves on the pavement, they moved into the shadows, waiting for whatever wandered close by. Michael didn't know if it was Jackie's size or the fact that they stayed in the center of the road as far from the edge as possible, but the few dragons they saw only watched as they walked by. Then Canante, containing two humans and an elephant, must have confused them. Perhaps Michael had been the real target all along, or perhaps the dragons hadn't seen all of Jackie, just her leg, and attacked it and thought it was a single animal. They would likely never know. The infection that had nearly killed Michael showed the threat of the dragons was probably greater than Jackie being a target of every hungry man with a gun. Staying in the middle of the road meant they traveled in the open. Jackie could be seen for a long distance. This made both of them nervous. Michael kept anticipating the feeling of Jackie sagging underneath him, a victim of a hungry sniper, followed by the inevitable sound of rifle fire. They saw no one. Where is everybody? Michael asked. Even in St. Louis, there had been some people, to be avoided, of course, but they had always been there. I don't know. Jackie watched the low farms. This is different from what I had imagined. The land rose, the forest grew thicker, lush, and filled with tall oaks and maples. The road disappeared into rubble within a dark and gloomy forest floor nearly bare of vegetation. The remains of the road was a break of light between the trees. Keep watch, Jackie said after a while. It'll be cold under the trees. The dragons will be sunning themselves whenever there's a warm spot. But the forest grew thicker and even quieter. They saw no dragons. No people and no dragons. Michael leaned forward to look down at Jackie's face. Any ideas? Jackie shook her head. It's too cool for them here under the trees. Maybe the dragons migrate north in the spring when the canopy is thinner, then return south. Lizards migrating? Who knows? It's a new world down here. 
I was modified. Maybe they were, too. Or maybe this just isn't dragon country. You were modified for a reason, I guess. Maybe they were, too. Jackie was silent for a moment. Why do you think I had to be modified for a reason? Nobody would choose a five-ton experiment unless they had a reason, Michael cuffed the top of his head, especially one as foul-tempered as you are. Yeah, thanks. Jackie was silent for perhaps a dozen steps. It was in the last notebooks you found. I figured. How so? I bring you every notebook in this place. None of them satisfy you. Then you find what you're after. The next day you leave. At first, I thought it might be something about Hohenwald. Something important that you need to know before you could leave. But the place is clearly on the map. I couldn't see what could be in notebooks about you that would have anything to do with Hohenwald. Maybe you were looking for what had to be about you. After a while, I figured out it had to be something about you that only the people that created you would know. That's why you were searching the notebooks. It had to be something Ralph either didn't know or couldn't tell you. Ralph would know all there was to know about how they had made you, but there's no particular reason I could think of they should tell him why. It could have been genetic maps of the Hohenwald males. What's a genetic map? Something you wouldn't know about. Jackie grabbed the leaves off a low-hanging maple and pulled them down. The branch tapped Michael on the head. Ouch! What was that for? for thinking you know everything about me. I know I don't know everything about you. For one thing, I don't know what was in the notebooks. The purpose of the project. My purpose. Michael cried out with delight. I was right, he crowed. You were right. What was it? They were going to reseed elephants back into Africa and Asia, but the elephants were going to have to be as smart as humans to keep from being stake on the hoof. That's weird, Michael said. Why wouldn't somebody just go and watch out for them? Then it hit him. Oh. Oh is right, Jackie said gently. They knew they were dying. They must have known everybody was dying. There wouldn't be anybody to take care of you, Michael shook his head. That doesn't make sense. Why would they go through all the trouble and die before they can make good on it? I don't know. I didn't find any personal diaries or notes. I just found the original missions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Statement, long-range plans. What do you think happened? I think they made a mistake and died too quickly. Since we didn't trust them, they really didn't know how well they had succeeded. They kept trying to adapt, trying to figure out how smart we really were and how they were going to adapt their plan to our limitations. They were caught sick trying to do right by us. Michael didn't say anything for a long time. Do you think they figured it out before they all died? Jackie sighed a deep, rumbling breath. God, I hope not. Dear Mom, My spelling is better since I let Jackie read the letters. She had been doing it sometimes, but hadn't said anything. I didn't tell you about Gary, but he and Jackie took care of me when I was sick. Gary's a real good guy, so if you get a chance, look out for him. Jackie's job was to look out for the elephants, so... Now when we get to Hohenwald, she gets to do her job. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. My job so far has been to be her hands, but most of what I do has to do with traveling. When she gets there, she won't be traveling anymore. She said all the elephants at Hohenwald were females, but the information she had was over ten years old. Ralph hadn't been able to contact Hohenwald for a long time, Maybe they weren't fire-protected. The land is different now. Wilder. Jackie says it looks like the old forest from hundreds of years ago, but it's much too recent. She thinks somebody must have made it, so we're careful. I miss you every day. You and Dad both, although I don't remember him so well. Jackie thinks I'm strange to write to you, being dead and all. I don't think it's strange at all. So there, Jackie. If I talked to you out loud, people would just think I was crazy. This way, it's just between you and me and I get a chance to collect my thoughts. I think I remember you better, too, if I do this. Ned had some good ideas mixed with the bad. Jackie makes sure I brush my teeth every night. She had me look for a toothbrush in Ralph's packs. Sure enough, there was one. We're coming into Hohenwald soon, so I'll tell you about it after that. Love, Michael. They had been several days on Old Highway 641 when Michael saw Interstate 40 through a break in the trees. This part of the road had seen better days. The roads in Tennessee were better cared for than the ones in Illinois or Kentucky. It was one of the best ways to determine when they had crossed state or county borders. The roads or farms were cared for differently. In Kentucky, the roads were broken in places and worn away in others and they had to keep a sharp eye for dragons. Once they crossed into Tennessee, the roads looked as if they were cared for by someone with a mania for cleanliness and sharp borders. It reminded Michael of the mysterious farms up in Illinois, 
The dark forest seemed to be the province of Kentucky. The forest here seemed more normal, a mix of young trees and shrubs. Once or twice I saw the remains of a garden. There had been people around recently, if they weren't around right now. Still, they saw no one living, just the occasional mound of mushrooms. Jackie stopped dead in the middle of the roadway. Michael almost fell off. He caught on to one of her ears and pulled himself back up under her neck. He looked around nervously to see what made her stop. What is it? he whispered. I hear something. Dragons? No. Jackie spread her legs and leaned forward. She let her trunk down to rest on the ground. Is something wrong? asked Michael. Shut up. Michael leaned back and pulled out the map. It looked like they had turned east here. Hohenwald was only seventy or eighty miles away. Jackie straightened up. So? Nothing. Right. Jackie shook her head in irritation. A few miles further on, Interstate 40 was more visible. They walked up to the eastern ramp of the road proper. Michael felt better. The visibility from an interstate was much greater than from the little forested closed roads. Well, they hadn't seen a dragon for a while. Michael didn't want to take any chances. Jackie stopped on the interstate again and assumed the strange leaning posture. What is it? Jackie didn't answer. She just shook her head at him. Michael climbed down to look around. He hopped over to the edge of the interstate, leaned against the guardrail. It was considerably more open to the south. Michael thought he could see fairly large turtle of some sort, perhaps thirty pounds, walking along the edge of the forest. It looked like dragon country. We're going the wrong way, Jackie said suddenly. Michael pulled out the map and studied it again. No, this is the way to Hohenwald. Where are we? Michael studied the map. McElwain. At least that's the closest thing that looks like a town. That way, he pointed east, lays the Tennessee River. We'd go over it if the bridge is still there. About thirty miles further on, we turn south again to Hohenwald. Jackie shifted nervously. They're not there. The Hohenwald elephants? Jackie turned west. She leaned out against and laid her trunk on the ground. Not that way, either. Nothing to the north of us, is there? Jackie turned east again, dropped her trunk to the ground. For a long time, she was motionless. Finally, she shook herself. It's the river that's messing me up. I think they're south. Michael sat on the guardrail. Dragons might be down that way. Also, people. Maybe. I don't think they're far. Michael sighed. He stood, leaning against the wall. Jackie made a leg for him, and he climbed up. The river is going north to south. Maybe we can keep going south on the 69, and you can keep listening. How far is the river? Is there a road that follows it? Michael ran his finger along the blue line. The river is angling toward us. It comes pretty close, starting around Eichen's Chapel. We'll only be a few miles from it when we get to Jeanette. Maybe ten miles. Let's go. At Jeanette, they found Brody's Landing Road. This brought them down to the river. The Tennessee River was not the crushing roar of the Ohio or the Mississippi. It was broad and flat with a steady, slow southern flow. On the other side, washing in the still water, 
was a herd of elephants. Jackie froze, staring at them. The air was still. The elephants across the river stared back. Michael didn't move. He wondered if the elephants could see him. Just how well did elephants see, anyway? The moan stretched out long enough that Michael wanted to change his position. He began to itch. Suddenly, one elephant in the water snorted and clambered up the bank. It trumpeted once and then walked up the bank. The other elephants followed her. Jackie shook herself once when they were out of sight. She walked into the water, but the current, though slow, seemed to shift her slightly. She stopped and backed up. Where can I get across? We go back north and across Interstate 40, or we go south and cross Highway 412. Which is closer? Both are about the same. Jackie thought for a long time. South, she said at last. We go south. They crossed the river at Perryville. The bridge seemed intact, though, of course, they couldn't be sure. It cracked like a gunshot when they were in the middle, and for a moment Michael couldn't breathe. But the bridge gave them no more trouble, and they were on the east side of the Tennessee River. We're quite a ways from Hohenwald, Michael said as they lumbered down the road. Did you think they would stay there? Their keepers must be dead, too. Jackie sounded almost happy. Do you think Ralph is dead? She shook her head irritably. I'm not concerned about the fate of one robot. That's not your purpose, he thought. It made him nervous. Along the eastern side of the river, they found a flat, worn trail, well marked with elephant scat. Jackie turned over each pile, broke it open, and smelled it. Is that necessary? I want to know who they are. She pointed to one worn pile. African elephant? Female? Smells like she's the dominant one. She pointed behind. There are three Indian females. One is still a little immature. She's unrelated to the other two. None of them are pregnant. What are you? Indian. What? You didn't know? It's not like you told me. She snorted. Any boy elephants? There are no males in Hohenwald. Why not? Males need more space. They don't herd like females. Michael thought for a moment. Better hope your baby is a boy. Jackie didn't answer. They came to the point across the river where they had seen the herd, a long, hard-packed sandbar held together with tough grass and cottonwoods. The scat here was plentiful. The elephants liked this place and returned to it often. Michael leaned over her head. Which way? I'm not sure. Michael slid to the ground. Jackie handed him his crutch. He moved around one side of the clearing while Jackie searched the other. The elephant markings were so numerous it was hard to figure out where they had gone. Over here, she cried softly. Michael hobbled over. Jackie pointed to a large pile. Male, Indian. No more than a week ago. That's good, right? Maybe. She cried out suddenly, Get down, and swept him to the ground. A dart struck in Jackie's trunk where he had been standing. Michael scrambled to pull it out. Samza! cried a girl's voice from the brush. She ran out toward Jackie. Michael tried to intercept her, but was knocked to the ground again, this time by an older man. He held a knife to Michael's throat. Jackie eased herself down to her knees, then lay down on the ground. Jackie! Michael cried out. 
She looked blindly at the sound of his voice. Then it seemed as if her eyes were looking elsewhere. She closed them slowly. You killed her, he said, not believing it. It was an accident, cripple, whispered the woman in a stricken voice. I was aiming at you. The girl pulled the dart out of Jackie's trunk. Will she die, Samsa? The girl asked the man holding the knife to Michael's throat. I don't know, Samsa said. He pulled cord from a pouch belted around his waist and bound Michael's wrists. What? Do you think I'm going to run away? Michael pushed the stump at him. Cripple, remember? Samsa ignored him. He knelt next to Jackie. She's breathing. That's a good sign. Maybe the dosage is too small. Dosage of what? Michael stared at him. What did you do to her? Missed you, said Samsa evenly. Let's see the dart, Pinto. Pinto gently brushed Jackie's eyes closed, picked up the dart, and brought it to her Samsa. Samsa examined it carefully, deliberately avoiding the point. Full dose, all right. Get the med kit in my tent back at camp. Got it. With that, the girl was gone, running up the trail away from the river. Samsa examined Jackie minutely. He placed a hand on her chest to measure her breathing. After that, he held his hands under her trunk and stood silently. What are you doing? asked Michael quietly. Shut up. After a moment, Samsa released the trunk. Pulse is good. Breathing is a little weak. That was a poison dart? You're a smart one. Why shoot me? Let's see. You're riding the biggest piece of meat for twenty miles around, except for the dozen or so other pieces of meat just as big. You're not important, boy. She is. Too important to provide you with a year's supply of steaks. You think I was going to eat her? That would be a little ambitious. I think you were going to trade her. Maybe to the angels in Memphis or the rubber girls in Chattanooga. They would have taken her, then served her up as a garnish. It would have been fine by me, but we'd still be out an elephant. Jackie's not one of your elephants. I know that. Since you're accidentally alive, you can tell me where you stole her. I didn't steal Jackie. I don't think anybody could do that. If she could talk, she'd tell you herself. Samsa snorted. I expect she'd have a lot to tell me, too. Michael fell silent. Where'd you get her? Jackie and I came from St. Louis. We were trying to find elephants at Hohenwald. She wanted her own herd. Well, you found them. We'll take it from here. She's... Samsa pointed the dart at him. There's enough left in this for a little slip of a thing like you. Even if it didn't kill you, it would paralyze you until morning. The Komodos would find you long before that. Jackie stared at the point of the dart. The tip had a drop of oil on it. He couldn't look away. Don't, Jackie said in a long exhalation. Samson looked over at the elephant. He looked back at Michael. She didn't just talk, did she? Is she going to be all right? Samson looked back at her. I think so. The Karari didn't kill her, so to wear off in a while, Pinto is bringing back the antidote. Then pretty soon you'll find out for yourself. Pinto returned with a professional-looking bag. She gave it to Samsa and went to sit next to Jackie. She huddled next to her head. Michael hoped she had a sense enough to move away when Jackie got up. Michael tried to figure out the two of them. Samsa was an older man. What little hair he had left was streaked with gray and matched his beard. 
He was tall and thin, as if strung together with wires. The Pinto wasn't much more than Michael's own age. Through her loose shirt, Michael could see a suggestion of young breasts, but her legs and arms still looked childish. Michael wondered if Pinto had bartered protection the same way he had with Uncle Ned. They didn't look related. Samson pulled out two glass ampules, one with a powder and the other with a liquid, and a syringe and a wicked needle. He filled the syringe with the liquid and injected it into the ampule with the powder and swirled it around the mix. He caught Michael watching him. We don't have much call to use this, so it's still in the original packaging, Samson grinned at him. We brew the poison ourselves. From what? Poison arrow frogs down in the bayou. We go down there once or twice a year and catch what we need. I didn't know there were such animals. Pretty little things. Red, blue, all sorts of colors. Skin carries a poison that will lay you out dry if you mess with them. They didn't used to live down there, but somebody's menagerie broke open or was deliberately released. Then some small group managed to survive the cooler winters. It's a nice weapon against humans. Quiet. Quick. If you keep your wits about you, you can take down half a dozen people before they realize what's happening. He finished shaking the ampule and filled the syringe with the resulting mixture. Out of the way, Pinto, Samson said. He swabbed the section of Jackie's hide and slipped the needle in. Then he withdrew the needle, broke it, and put the syringe and broken needle in a jar from the bag. She's still not going to move for a couple hours, but now her breathing won't be affected. He looked up at the hot sun. We have to keep her cool, he looked at Michael. Take off your shirt and wet it in the river. Keep it wet and on the elephant's head. Her name is Jackie. Jackie, then. Better untie me. You'll do fine with your hands tied together. Hop to it. Pinto, help him keep out of reach. Use your own shirt, too. I will get a couple of buckets. Pinto kept a wary eye on Michael, but he ignored her. The sun was hot even on his sweating body. He didn't want to imagine what Jackie felt like. Keep her ears wet, too, Pinto told him. Elephants keep cool through their ears. Michael grunted and bathed Jackie's ears. Did she knock you down? Pinto asked as they passed one another in the weight of the river. She saved my life, Michael said simply. Right. Michael shrugged. Samsa returned with two buckets and a rifle. I thought you liked poison, Michael said. I do. But it's hard to penetrate the height of a crocodile with a dart. There are crocodiles in the river. Not usually this far north, but sometimes. Komodos usually stay away, too, but not always. I'll keep watch, just in case. Michael stopped and looked at Samsa. You were keeper at Hohenwald? Director, Samsa corrected. So you let the elephants go when everybody died? Samsa cocked his head. Eleven years ago. Well, the elephants in St. Louis died. Jackie and the keepers decided she should look for elephants down here. Did they now? Jackie's going to have a baby. Is this poison going to hurt it? Samson sighed and looked over her still form. I should have picked up on that right away. He turned back to Michael. I hope not, but there's no way to know. If she doesn't miscarry, it's a fair bet the baby will be all right, Samson gestured to Michael. When Michael came close enough, Samson untied his hands. 
I'm starting to believe you're not a poacher. He held up the gun. But I still have the rifle. Michael nodded and went back to filling buckets. In the early afternoon, Jackie started twitching. An hour later, she was trying to get up. Samson stood next to her, speaking soothingly. Don't get up yet, girl. He gestured Michael and Pinto off the sandbank. Jackie seemed to calm down and remain still. It wasn't long until she heaped herself up, swaying and looking confused. It's okay, girl, Samson said soothingly. Jackie swung her trunk and knocked the rifle to the ground, then swung back, caught Samson's leg, and turned him over on his back. In a moment, she had a foot on his chest. He tried to kill my boy, she hissed. Samson tried to speak, but couldn't. Pinto ran to Jackie and tried to pull her foot up. Jackie ignored her. Are you all right, Michael? Yeah. What do you want me to do with him? Let him go, Michael said. He's the director at Hohenwald. Jackie slowly raised her foot. She carefully walked down the sandbar into the water and eased into it. Pinto held Samson's hand. She was crying. Michael squatted down next to him. She can talk, Samson coughed out. I know, Michael said. Dear Mom, we found the other elephants, but the people that owned them found us. Almost killed us, too. Well, me anyway. Samson and Pinto were out tracking the herd. There's one big herd of six adult females and no calves. There are two other groups. One with three females and one calf. The other has four females and two calves. Male elephants don't hang around except when they're in muss, or muff, or something. There are four males in the area. All of them are Indian elephants except for one, Tika. Tika is an African elephant. She's huge. She was the big elephant we saw at the stream. Samsa says it's possible for African and Indian elephants to mate, but she wouldn't have any of the males. She's real strict with her group. Maybe that's why they don't have calves. Samsa let the elephants free when it looked like everyone was going to die, him included, but he didn't. Now there are 15 people who help Samsa watch the elephants. They don't eat meat. They protect the elephants from people. Maybe they want the elephants for themselves. They have their own little village near here. Samson seems to run things from what I've seen. They want Jackie to come to the village. Jackie's not interested. But she wants to join the herd. I think she's suspicious of them. They won't let me stay in the village. Maybe they still think I'm a poacher. Love, Michael. You need both legs to follow the elephants said Samson reasonably. I can get around pretty good with my crutch. Let me do something. You can't run. Sometimes the elements charge, and if you can't get up a tree quick enough, there won't be quite enough of you left to bury. We've lost people that way. Samson and Pinto left before Michael could protest further. Jackie was resting near the camp. She watched them from a distance. Michael had no doubt she could hear every word. Michael hobbled over to her. He sat down next to her. She reached up and pulled down the branch of a birch tree and began methodically pulling the leaves off and eating them. They won't let me come with them, Michael said. So I heard. The fog had come up the trail from the river and everything was swathed in mist. Michael felt cold and half-blind. How are you feeling? Tired. Laying in the sun for half a day takes a lot out of you. 
Do you really think there are crocodiles in the river? Do you think they're lying? Michael looked back to the fog. I guess not. Do you know which band you're going after? Jackie didn't answer for a moment. Tika's band, I think. Wouldn't she be the hardest? Probably. Then why her? Jackie was quiet for a moment. Silly reasons. It's surprising she even has a band with Indians in it. When you were desperate for company, you'll take anything, I suppose. Michael didn't speak immediately. His chest hurt and his throat felt thick. He stared up the trail where Samson Pinto had gone. Was that how he felt about them? Desperate? Was that how Jackie felt about him? He went to their gear and opened up a hidden flap. He put together the rifle and took the exploding shells. What are you going to do? Jackie stared at him. Follow them. It was awkward to carry the rifle while he was still forced to use the crutch. He thought maybe he'd try to get down to one of the old cities and look for a leg, or build one. He had a vague memory of a story about someone with a peg leg. That would be good enough for him. The trail was clear, and Samson Pinto had left footprints so that it wasn't hard to follow. He'd catch up to them or he wouldn't. Either way, he was doing something. He could tell the trail was coming close to the river by the way the trees began to thin. Michael listened, and he could hear splashing. Probably the elephants. He found a tall tree, leaned the crutch against the trunk, and slung the rifle over his back and started to climb. From near the top, he had a commanding view of the river, the elephants, and Samson and Pinto watching the elephants. He could also see the sunken log slowly drifting toward the splashing of the elephants. He unslung the rifle and aimed it at one of the logs. The telescopic sight showed the crocodile clearly. He turned on the laser and saw the bright red spot appear on the animal's back. Then he watched. Samson and Pinto were watching the elephants. Samson had a rifle, but it was slung. He was talking, or maybe arguing, with Pinto. One of the crocodiles stopped watching the bank. Then it submerged. Let's see, thought Michael. Think like a croc, or a dragon. Go for the little target, not the big ones. Where would I attack from if I were a crocodile? The water erupted near Pinto. Right there. For a moment, the crocodile was frozen in mid-leap, the red spot clearly showing on his neck. Michael squeezed off three shots. He saw the water and blood spurt where they hit. Then time caught, and the crocodile started to close his jaws on Pinto, and the explosive rounds triggered. There was no flash or sound, but the crocodile fell to the ground, dragging Pinto down with him. Samson pulled Pinto out of the animal's limp mouth. They scrambled back up the bank, blunt showing on Pinto's leg, but the croc was unmoving. The elephants roared out of the water and ran into the forest. Michael stayed there for some time, but the river was empty save for the remaining croc staying safely offshore. He climbed down and made his way back to camp. Samson was treating Pinto's wounds. Michael put the rifle down and sat next to it. I have some use, he said. Samson was sitting across from him when Michael awoke. I want the rifle. Michael sat up. I'd like to live in the village and use it to help you, but what I'd really like is to have my leg back. But that's the way it is. Samson shook his head. We don't know you. We can't have any weapon around that can kill an elephant in the hands of someone I don't know. You mean like the darts? 
That's different. Samsa watched him for a moment. They could dart you and take it. Michael pulled out the pistol and held it loosely. He didn't point it at Samson, but he didn't deliberately point it away. He could pry it from my cold, dead hands, I suppose. I know where that expression comes from. Do you? Does it matter? Michael was quiet for a moment. I think it should be enough that Jackie trusts me. I don't think so. Jackie hasn't seen enough humans to know who to trust. Do tell, said Jackie from behind Samson. Michael looked up at Jackie. You tell me what you want done with the rifle. Keep it, said Jackie shortly. Michael, you're better shot at it than he is. Certainly, you're more trustworthy. I am the caretaker of the elephants, Samsa said in a controlled voice. That's not your job, said Jackie. It's mine. They didn't tell Samsa or Pinto or anyone else they were leaving. The village was up the hill and out of sight behind a bend in the trail. Michael certainly wasn't going out of his way to say goodbye. Even so, Michael could feel watchful eyes on him as he turned from the trail and led up the hill to the elephant scat-covered trail that followed the bottom land. Tell me, Jackie said conversationally that afternoon, do you think Samsonville is on the map? Michael laughed for a long time. The quality of their travel changed. Before, Michael had felt essentially alone in the forest. Other elephants were an abstraction. Other humans were absent. The very idea of a village was absurd. But now, Samsaville, the name stuck, loomed in his mind. He thought Jackie might think similarly about elephants. Dear Mom, Jackie and I have left the other people and went to look for the elephants on our own. I'm not sure what's going to happen now. Maybe Jackie would be better without a one-legged crippled kid. I miss you and Dad. I miss Gary. I even miss Uncle Ned. I miss my leg. It hurts at night. Jackie's worried about joining the elephants. She doesn't say so, but I can tell. Maybe Samson will join us. Maybe he'll dart me or worse. Maybe Tika won't let us join. Maybe something bad will happen. Whatever happens... I love you, Michael. They found Tika two days later. It was mid-morning. The herd was grazing on the edge of a clearing. Worn buildings marked the clearing as having once been a farm. Michael looked at the ancient stubble of corn shocks and rusting machinery. This farm had never seen a robot. It had been abandoned long ago. Tika had already turned to face them before Jackie and Michael left the forest. She must have heard them coming, thought Michael, or smelled them. Jackie stopped well short of them and started grazing on the opposite side of the clearing. After an hour or so, Tika returned to grazing with the other females, but her attention never wavered from Jackie. Afternoon came and the herd disappeared into the forest. Michael slid down to the ground and made himself a lunch out of dried fruit and crocodile jerky. Samson is watching us, Jackie muttered as she stood near Michael. Up on the ridge. I can smell him. Michael nodded. Is he going to shoot me? I can't smell a gun, but that doesn't mean much. Anybody else? Jackie shook her head. Not as far as I can tell. Nothing can be done, then. Michael chewed the crocodile jerky. Not bad. Sort of like chicken. I wonder why dragons don't come across the bridges. Do they think there's something here they don't like? 
Maybe the elephants killed them. I know I would. You did. True, Jackie thought for a moment. It's a mistake to think this ecology is complete. Humans left it very recently. It could be the Komodos haven't reached this far yet. The Komodos have to migrate north from the coast every spring and return every fall. It's going to take time for them to penetrate new areas. Any place they go can only be as far as they can return to in the time to avoid the winter. They could learn to winter up here. Unlikely. They're unlikely, right? Who knows what they can do? Jackie was silent for a moment. That's not something I want to think about. Michael shivered. Me either. The next week followed the same ritual. The elephants came to the abandoned farm and grazed, moving over the new areas as they stripped the old leaves. By week's end, Jackie and Tika had circled the entire clearing, still standing opposite one another. Jackie was now where they had first sighted Tika, and Tika was grazing where Jackie had first entered the clearing. Today we have to follow them, Michael said. He spat out the last of the meat. He was tired of crocodile jerky. It's too soon. Look around you, Michael pointed at the trees. There's nothing left. They're not going to come back here just to say hello. Tika shivvied her herd back to the clearing's entrance. Jackie followed at a respectful distance. Tika kept turning to check on them. This might work out, Jackie whispered. They followed the band for hours. The smell of Samson and the other humans faded. The trail became wider and more curved until they could see the band for minutes at a time. They turned a corner in the trail and Tika was facing them. Jackie stopped dead still. Michael had been leaning forward, resting his head on Jackie's head and watching. He froze, not wanting to draw attention to himself. Tika approached cautiously, trunk half-raised and sniffing the air. Jackie raised her trunk slightly. Then the two of them were close enough they sniffed each other with their trunks. Tika seemed to relax. Michael watched. It came to him that Tika wanted Jackie in their herd, maybe because she was pregnant, maybe because there were dangers enough out there for everyone to share. Tika suddenly whipped her trunk over Jackie's head and caught Michael squarely in the side, sweeping him off Jackie's neck and down onto the ground in front of Tika. Michael fell the ten feet in a moment of frozen astonishment and landed hard on his back, knocking the wind out of him. Desperately, he tried to force himself to breathe, cough, anything, but his lungs stubbornly refused to fill. Tika raised her leg over him. Michael saw the details of her foot, the broken toenail, the puckered scar. Jackie screamed, No! and stepped over him, shoving Tika away. Tika stumbled back and then shoved back. Jackie stood four square over him, her head and trunk down. Michael's breath caught and he sat up, watching twenty tons of elements shoving above him. Move, Jackie cried. Michael scrambled away. A tree. Where's a tree? He saw an oak and hopped over there to crawl his way back up the trunk and into the branches high enough to escape Tika. Jackie fell back in front of the tree facing Tika. Tika trumpeted at her. It was as if she had shouted in English, You we want, but not with him. Jackie trumpeted back, Not without him. Jackie, he shouted, Go with them. I'll be okay. Tika fell back, staring at the two of them. No, Jackie said. Both of us are not at all. Michael found himself crying. Dear Mom, it's been a while since I wrote, but I've been busy. Little Bill is just as stubborn as his mother. 
Jackie says he outgrew the cute phase when he was two. Now she thinks it's just unpleasant. But I like him. He reminds me of his mother. I think Tika's finally accepted me. It took long enough. She's allowed me to stay all this time by just ignoring me. But a few weeks ago, before we left Pansia, one of her toenails got infected and needed to be lanced and cleaned. It was pretty clear it had to be done before we started north. Jackie stood next to me to make sure I wouldn't get hurt, but Patika brought over her foot and didn't twitch as I cleaned out the wound. It must have hurt. It looks better now. That was just after I shot two Komodos that had decided to make a meal out of Tika's leg. The Komodos aren't much of a problem in winter. They're all asleep somewhere. But between the time they wake up in the spring and the time they start north, they're pretty hungry and mean. I can't say for sure what made Tika change her mind, but she seemed pretty happy that Jackie and I were walking next to her when we went north this year. Things are still changing. The Komodos are tough, but they seem to have a hard time with the brush lions. We're not sure. Where we find brush lions, there aren't any Komodos, and where we find Komodos, there aren't any brush lions. We don't know exactly what is going on. And the fire ants keep spreading north. Good news this spring. Both Tanya and Wilma are pregnant. The bull that visited around Christmas must have done his job. More young ones for little Bill to play with. We're not far from Samsaville. It'll be nice to see Pinto and Samsa. I'm trying to persuade Jackie we should go far enough north to see Gary, but she doesn't like going through dragon country. All for now. Love, Michael. Michael finished signing his name and closed the notebook. It was almost filled. This would be book number seven. He hefted it in his hands. He wondered if he was a little off in his head to be writing his dead mother all these years. He was sixteen now. Michael shrugged. He still liked doing it. Maybe Jackie would have an opinion on it. He put the pack down and watched the river flow by. Mostly, he enjoyed the play of sunlight and color on the water. It was a careful observation, too, keeping track of floating logs nearby that might leap out at him. The crocodiles had become more numerous in the last couple years. Michael didn't know what they were eating, but so far not a tasted elephant on his watch. Little Bill came down to the edge of the bank. Little? Michael smiled to himself. Bill's head was two feet taller than his. Jackie's boy! Jackie's boy! he piped tiny voice from such a large body. Michael wondered when and if the elephant's voice would ever break into the deep timber of an adult. Michael's had, well, mostly. Sometimes it still cracked. Just Michael, he said. Like I always say, just Michael. Jackie's boy is what Tika calls you. Michael chuckled, wondering, not for the first time, how an elephant spoke without being able to speak. The world was filled with mysteries. Does she now? Are you ready to go? piped Bill. Tika sent me to get you. She wants you and Jackie to go first. Michael reached down and pulled up his artificial leg and fastened it on. Really? Tika wants us to lead? Sure, at least as far as Coberville. Ah, she wants us to cross the fire ants first, eh? Yeah. Will wonders never cease? Little Bill didn't answer. Instead, he made a leg. Michael shouldered the rifle and climbed up over his neck. He looked around, the blue bowl of the sky above him, the warm sun, his gray family patiently waiting for him a half mile away. 
He felt like singing. Lovingly, he patted the top of little Bill's head. Well then, mustn't grumble, he said with a grin. Let's go. And there you go. A big thank you to Stephen and a big thank you to Jeff. Jeff, what a lovely voice there. Just swoons you around, do you know what I mean? And just kind of captures you. In the, kind of the, in the story. Jeff, thank you so much. And Stephen, like I say, brilliant. Don't forget, copyright is Stephen Popkers. So that is today's show. I do hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you will consider, you know, donating. Oh, by the way. This is Jason Sanford, author of Into the Depths of Illuminated Seas, and you're listening to Starship Sofa. If you like what the sofa's doing, please consider becoming a monthly subscriber. Jason Sanford is just a writer to look out for. Jason, thank you so much. Yes, please, that's the message for a few weeks, months now, to kind of make sure the Starship Sofa survives, keeps on going. At this moment, we're doing pretty badly in its kind of funding. Engines are depleted, so we could really do with your help if you kind of consider donating, monthly donations, just to keep it going week in, week out. We've been going since 2006. It would be crying shame to see it kind of crash and burn. But... Fingers crossed you'll look after her. Until next week, just like to say, good day from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of Story Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.